The Happy Pair podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot. Use the code HAPPYPAIR15 to get 15% off at checkout. This week we are joined by the wonderful Dr. William Lee. He's a world-renowned physician, scientist, speaker and author of two New York Times best-selling books. Uh, he's best known for leading the Andiogenesis Foundation. His groundbreaking work has impacted more than 70 diseases including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease and obesity. His TED Talk, Can We to Starve Cancer, has more than 11 million views. Um, he's an author of more than 100 scientific publications in leading journals such as Science, the New England Journal of Medicine, The Lancet. He's also served on medical faculties such as Harvard Medical School, Tufts University and Dartmouth Medical School. He really is an expert and is, today we dive deeply into metabolism. He is, he is a world leader in terms of metabolism, how our metabolism works and what we can do to burn fat. Yeah, and we get into kind of brown fat versus white fat versus visceral fat and how we can live our lives so that we can have our metabolism functioning from the age of 20 to 60 at the same degree of efficiency. Yeah, you're going to learn things like what are the four phases of metabolism, simple practical things which you can do to help your body to burn more white fat and to increase your brown fat, certain foods that you can eat that really help encourage the building of metabolism and the burning of fat. It's a really, really inspiring conversation with Dr. William Lee. Speaking of putting things into practice, we gave up alcohol 20 years ago just for two weeks just to see what the change was and it had a massive positive catalyst in our lives. This January, at the start of January, we're, we're running our alcohol-free challenge again. It's four weeks to support you to give up alcohol and to see the actual benefits which emerge, connecting with your more authentic self. It's not even to give it up, it's to take a break and to experience how it affects you. Because alcohol, many people are mid-lane drinkers and don't realise how alcohol can just be an anchor that's holding you back. And by taking a small little break, it gives that opportunity to reflect and just to see, wow. So that's our alcohol-free challenge starting at the start of January. Full details are on our website or in the show notes of this podcast. Well, super lovely to have you. It really, really is. And congrats on all your work. It's a real, it's been such a, a joyful journey to do some research and dig into everything which you're a proponent for, because I think you're really helping the public's health at large in so many different ways. So first well, and thank foremost, you. thank you. Uh, your latest book is really, really cool. Um, Eat to Beat Your Diet, you know, burn fat, help, your, uh, you know, heal your metabolism and live longer. Like I really think it's, it's helping a huge amount of people. So, so maybe the first place to jump in is about what is metabolism and, and why is metabolism and, and relative? And the big misconception is that people think with age their metabolism declines. Everyone, kind of someone in their 40s or 50 might look down at a 20 year old and go, well, it's easy for you, you're 20, I'm 40. Yeah, well look, metabolism is something that everyone feels like they know something about, right? Uh, you know, some people call it uh, the amount of energy I have, some people call it my fate, you know, how, you know, what I was, blessed or cursed with at birth. Um, but if you actually look on the internet and you look at Wikipedia, the definition of metabolism, which is sort of the net sum of chemical reactions in the body, blah, 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 blah. It's actually the same uh, definition that I learned as a physician going to medical school, you know, as, as a student going to medical school to become a physician, it's the same definition. However, that definition doesn't really make an intuitive sense. I mean, unless you're a scientist uh, and, and you know, I can tell you as a scientist, we can have all kinds of very um, rocket, rocket science type of conversations about it. But really, the new understanding of metabolism is that it's actually much simpler. It's really how our body um, takes in fuel and turns that fuel into energy to be able to drive our chassis around just like a car, you know, for us to do everything that we need to do. 
Um, and the way I like to explain metabolism, just like a car, is that there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, we go from point A to point B, obviously requires fuel. Uh, in the case of our car, we go to the petrol station to get filled up, fill up our tank. Uh, uh, in the uh, instance of our body, we get our fuel from the food that we eat. That food contains energy, just like uh, petrol actually can, can be converted into energy. And we don't think, by the way, of our, our metabolism or how we use our fuel uh, for our body on a day-to-day -day level any more than we think about um, how our car uses gas, uh, except when we're, our, our tank, our fuel tank reads low or near empty. Then all of a sudden, that's all we can think about is how do we get to the nearest filling station to be able to get our fuel. And our body really runs the same way. There's a lot of complexity of all the moving parts. If I was a mechanic, and I'm not a mechanic, but if I was, I'm sure, or if I spoke to a mechanic or we were talking to a mechanic, I'm sure they could hit us with all this very complicated information about what's in a car. And I think that the simplest um, operational definition of metabolism is really just that our body needs fuel in order to operate all the cells and or all the or every operation that we want to conduct whether we're just doing our laundry uh, uh going shopping at the grocery store or whether or training for a marathon we need energy and food is our energy and that's the connection between our diet and uh, and what we eat with our metabolism and then we can kind of from here we can actually dive as deep as you want yeah, because I've heard you say that 60 is the new 20 in terms of metabolism and that in spite of what a lot of people will perceive and go, oh my God, like I'm like we're going to 25 years at a school reunion this weekend. And I'm sure, you know, some people will go, oh, my metabolism is different to yours. And over oh, like since we've left school, I'm sure some bodies have changed and some bodies are still thin and lean. And, yeah. uh, and metabolism, people perceive that as someone becomes 60 or 90, their metabolism is totally going to change. What are the four yeah. phases of metabolism? And could you even talk about the breakthrough science around this? Yeah, well, first, let me tell you that I'm probably just like you guys, like everyone else. I was walking around assuming certain things about metabolism were just true. For example, uh, I, I had assumed myself that some people are born with a fast metabolism and they're thin as a stick. Uh, they can eat, they are seemingly can eat anything and not gain weight. And some people have a slower metabolism. You know, how many people have, have heard, uh, oh, my sister was lucky. She has a fast metabolism. And unfortunately, I was born with a slow metabolism. I've struggled with food my whole life. And, uh, you know, I've always had difficulty with my weight. That's a very common idea. That's one myth I walked around with. The second thing I walked around with that, if you've ever seen a teenage kid and, you know, we, the three of us have all age before you know like when you re reach that 15 16 year old level you're eating two or three dinners you're bouncing off the wall with energy playing sports running around like crazy and at that point and especially if you have your own teenagers you would actually say man that kid's metabolism must be going through the roof as they grow as they get bigger that's what we don't always assume the third thing that i always assumed and i think most people do is that you know once you kind of get into adulthood 20 30 40 right there is really this inflection point where things start to be not so good for you metabolism wise and the idea is that when you're heading towards middle age and then enter middle age things are going to slow down by themselves and that's why people say oh you know i've hit 40 i've hit 50. <clears throat> unfortunately my metabolism is now against me there's nothing i can do about it i just gotta buy new clothes you know uh or get used to the shape my shape in the mirror. And that's a bummer. 
And then people give up and they're like, well, you know, it's not going to make a difference anyway. I'm just going to eat whatever I want now. So that's what I always assume. Now, I, uh, and then finally, the last thing that I assumed about metabolism is that a slow metabolism causes you to gain body fat and therefore gain weight. And then, uh, and I always assume that that's how it worked, right? So these four myths I just told you about were completely upended, completely wow. up. They're all false. They're all not true. Okay. Uh, 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 from a research study that was a groundbreaking research study that was just published about two years ago now. Okay. And in this research study, uh, there was uh, 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 a researcher named Herman Ponzer working at Duke University in the United States. He worked with 90 other colleagues from 20 countries, and they took 6,000 people from 90 uh, from from uh, across 20 different countries. Um, and think about it: 20, uh, 20 different countries. You're talking about different geographies, different dietary patterns, uh, uh, different cultures. Everything is different, right? And they uh, and what they did though that was really remarkable is they studied people among the six thousand from one week old, that's fresh out of the oven, the bun is just out of the oven, all the way to ninety years old. Now you're talking about the end of the human lifespan for most people if you can make it that long. All right, and they studied everybody's metabolism in exactly the same way. The question was. What does human metabolism really look like when you study everybody from one week old to 90 year old? Never been done before, okay? And here's the other astounding thing. It's important to understand how the study was done because um, you know, for you to really understand the results, they studied everybody in exactly the same way. They gave them a drink of water and you're going, wait a minute, why would water make a difference? How would you even measure metabolism? Well. Water is H2O, right? Everyone knows that just from watching cartoons when you're a kid. H is hydrogen, O is oxygen. And what these researchers did is they tweaked the hydrogen and they tweaked the oxygen in the lab so you could measure it, all right? Now, when you drink the water, you can measure from the breath what you exhale. You can measure from the blood what you would remove uh, with a blood draw, or you can measure in the urine what you pee out. You can measure the H and the O and what the levels are when they come out of your body reflect your metabolism. Like that's basically a one way of calculating the metabolism. One week old to 90 years old, 6,000 people, 20 countries, 90 researchers diving on this to say, what is the result, right? So what do you think? So what happened when they got their first results, the metabolism, the results of the metabolism was all over the map, just like you'd expect. Yeah, everyone's got a different metabolism. But because we live in the age of supercomputing, what these researchers were able to do and what really broke the, the glass ceiling on this is they said, wait a minute, we know what every individual's height is. We know their age. We know their gender, male or female. Uh, and we know how much body fat they're supposed to have physiologically uh, for their height and age and weight and gender. So what they did is they developed an algorithm. So this is, you know, like you develop, people develop apps. So basically this is um, taking something that can uh, wind up being as simple as an app, but it's very complicated behind the scenes. And for every one of these 6,000 6, people, they removed, subtracted the effect of excess body fat for their height, their age, their weight, their gender. All right, because everyone was different. So when they removed the effect of excess body fat and measure metabolism, 
all right, just from the data, from the numbers. Guess what? The real metabolism came right, rose right to the surface. And if you want to say what was the, the, the impact on the researchers, it's like pulling off the, um, the cloak uh, 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 for the statue of David. Like suddenly you realize what human metabolism really looked like from one week old to 90 years old. And there's only four stages of metabolism that we all go through. And what this what this means is that they discovered how our bodies are in, intrinsically hardwired, right? If you're studying, if you're an ornithologist and you're studying birds, if you're a, 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 a zoologist and you're studying tigers, you're going to be paying attention and just trying to understand what is actually happening. What's the natural cycle of these animals? And so what they did is they studied what is the natural history, the the in hardwiring of how our human metabolism behaves, and we all go through four phases, every single one of us. And this is the beginning of where we began overturning every single one of those um, ideas that I told you I thought I, I was sure was right. Every single one of them turned out to be wrong, and that wrongness actually gives us like a eureka that it, our metabolism isn't our fate um, per se, but that we can actually do things to improve our metabolism. Well, and, and I guess the next question has to be, what are these four phases? Because okay. that's that's yeah. that's like the ice that you uh, were teasing uh, us. Wait, 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 zip at you. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, I, I I set it up so that, you know, people watching or listening to this could actually um, uh, kind of wait for it. So, okay, phase, first of all, we're all born with the exact same metabolism. Now, why is that? Why is that not a surprise? I mean, our ears are um, designed to work all the same way when we're born. Our tongues work the same way. Uh, our hearts all work the same way. Kidneys work the same way. Sure, there are some people that have, there's variations on the theme, but more or less, we all work the same way. Same thing as metabolism. <clears throat> the analogy I give, by the way, that's very important for people to understand, is that if uh, our metabolism is like the operating system of your laptop, everyone's had the laptop. If, if, if the three of us agreed that we need to buy a uh, a specific type of laptop, the same model, the same make. And you guys went in Ireland to the computer store and bought the same model. And I went to the store in the United States and bought the same model, took it out of the box, charged it up, hit the on button. Uh, the operating system on your end and my end, and for both of you, would be exactly the same, right? You yeah. hear that boom, and then it would actually go in exactly the same way. That's how we we're born with metabolism. Our metabolism is ready to roll the moment we actually come out of uh, our mom's womb. Okay, so phase one of the four phases of human metabolism starts at birth and it goes through the first year of life. And in that first year of life, human metabolism goes, it's, it's like a skyrocket, it's like, it's like a rocket. It goes up, 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 up. It reaches so high that at one year old, a baby's uh, metabolism is 50% uh, higher than what an adult's metabolism is gonna be. Wow. overshoots of adult. Now, why is that important? All right. Well, it means that our the babies are absorbing lots of energy from everything and their and their cells are super active, right? And that makes sense because a baby at one year old is really de developing um really in a super strong way. However, the one caution that this discovery has given us is that wait a minute, what are number one, you got to feed your your newborns really, really well give them good quality food. But then what about the other things we expose them to that they're going to be absorbing and, and processing? So 
microplastics, um, obesogens uh, out there, endocrine disruptors. You know, you probably heard about these things that are in our environment, the off-gassing. What about the pacifier, the rubber pacifier? Is that releasing chemicals into this super metabolism that's going on? What about the um, uh, uh, the sippy cup, you know, the little plastic cups? Are they shedding microplastics that can disrupt uh, the endocrine system, the hormones, and or they could be obesogens? And what about the stuffed animal, you know, that's off-gassing and releasing little particles as well? So in uh, this type of discovery is really uh, giving us pause and making us think, wait a minute, maybe we should be taking a step back and thinking about what we're exposing our babies to. That's phase one. Phase two is from age one to 20, right during adolescence, where I said people are eating two, two dinners and bouncing off the wall. What is metabolism doing? It's actually not going up. It's going down, 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 down. From that elevated one-year-old point down to adult levels. So it's going, it's heading down to the adult level. And what happens is that your body is increasing in size. And so it just needs more energy. But overall, the, the energy level is distributed among an expanding body. So it's actually coming down because eventually by the time you're 20, you're more or less growing to your adult size. All right. So it's actually right sizing itself to what you're going to be as an adult, but it's going down. That's phase two. Phase three, and this is the mic drop. All right. Phase three is from 20 to 60. All right. And from 20 to 60, the discovery from this research is that human metabolism is hardwired as our operating system out of the box, like a like a laptop. It's hardwired to be rock stable. Human metabolism does not, is not hard designed to change. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. This research discovered human metabolism is hardwired to be completely stable during adult life. And wow. that's phase three. So obviously people's shape do change. People do have difficulty with weight. I'm going to come back to why that is, yeah. but we're, we're hardwired not to change. We're not supposed to change. Okay. Um, and then from the, the fourth phase is from 60 to 90. There is about a 17% decrement in uh, our activity. Um, but that means that 17% from 60, which means a 70% when you're 90, you're only have 17%, 20% less energy than when you're 20. So that's wow. what I mean saying 60 can be the new 20 if you allow your body, your metabolism, your operating system to do what it wants to do. Now, and, One, and, and, and what you're saying there is that a 90 year old can be 80% of a 20 year old, which is like hard to get your head around. Like it's like, isn't it? Wow. Like there's, so, there's genuine excitement and enthusiasm about that. It, it's, it's, it's mind bending to think about that. Right. Okay. Now, now remember what I told you though, is that to get to this result, the researchers had to subtract, remove the effect of excess body fat from every individual's result. Now, the corollary is that when you throw the fat effect of ex excess body fat back into the system, what do you think it does? It crushes the metabolism. It makes it lower. So it's not that a slow metabolism causes you to gain body fat. It is that excess body fat sits on your metabolism. All right? Mm. The complete opposite of what we thought. Now, why is that empowering? The reason that's empowering is because we can all do something to improve and lower the amount of our body fat that we have at any age. That's in our control for the most part. 
And so the reason that people, whether you're talking about women or men, I think it's all the same. When you get to 40, you start, you know, gaining weight. It's really the fact that when you're uh, in part, I mean, there's obviously diseases where people do actually wind up having disease reason for actually weight gain, hormone dysfunction, you know, um, uh, psychological distress. There's all kinds of reasons that, uh, you know, uh, uh, bad diabetes. But I can tell you that um, my research in this space led me to understand that we all need a certain amount of body fat to, in order to have a healthy metabolism. And you're like, what? You need fat for metabolism? Absolutely. Our fat is our fuel tank for that energy from the food that we eat. But we have to have just the right amount. If we have too much, the fat becomes inflammatory. It's like overfilling your the petrol in your gas tank. Now in your car, you, you go to the filling station, you put your the nozzle in, you, you fill up the gas, you turn off the engine, you turn off, you fill up the gas, the, the, the petrol, it goes up to the top of the tank, and then it goes click, and now you can't put any more in. Imagine if there was no click. Okay. And remember, food is fuel. There's no click when we're actually sitting in front of the table. All right. We what? just keep eating. That, 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 that's, I guess that's just the reality of modern culture, the obesogenic culture of processed foods. It doesn't trigger satiation in a lot of the circumstances. Or... That's what requires a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of discipline, but know-how counts for a lot, just like anything. And listen, if you wanted to sail a boat, you need to have a little low know-how. I mean, everyone can get out there and row, or but if you want to do it well, and this is where I think the the, the research breakthroughs are giving giving the power back to us. So- when you have excess body fat, it becomes inflammatory in the same way that if you have too much fuel in your tank, in your car, what's going to happen? It's going to overflow the side, run down the side of the car, around the tires, pool around your feet. And now you're going to be standing in front of a dangerous, flammable, toxic mess, right? Dangerous. Same deal if we keep on eating and putting too much fuel in our body and our fuel tanks keep on expanding and make more fuel tanks, more fat that stores our fuel. Now it's the same kind of situation as if we overfilled the tanks in our car and it would over it would spill out and now it's inflammatory. Um, instead of you know setting on fire and exploding, now it's a slow burn inside our body. That is exactly the trigger, that inflammation of the excess body fat that disrupts our metabolism. It literally derails our operating system. The same way if you were to download a virus onto your computer and it just starts monkeying around with the operating system, everything slows down. That's exactly what is happening in middle age for most people. In following us for any length of time, you will know that the only foot where we were is Vivo Barefoot. Back a number of years ago, probably about seven years ago, friend Tony Riddle said, lads, what foot size are you? And I was like, what do you mean, Tony? He said, I'm going to get you a pair of shoes that are going to change your life. And I was like, come on, it's a pair of shoes. Uh, he got us these black Vivo Barefoot shoes. And since that day, the only shoes I wear, whether I'm on the farm, whether I'm going running, whether I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I only wear Vivo Barefoot shoes. So much so last night, he, we had a party and it was a fancy dress party and Stephen wore a tux and he wore his black Vivo barefoot normally shoes. Normally I wear like, you got to wear those pointy kind of dress shoes with a heel on them and your my feet normally hurt afterwards. And uh, I was wearing these cool, I think they're Addis is the, the style. And I felt like I wanted to go skateboarding. Like I felt cool in them and groovy. I think wearing Vivo barefoot shoes, studies have shown that if you wear 
Vivo Barefoot Shoes for six months, your foot strength will increase by 60%. You get more feedback from the environment and they encourage you to move more. As we were saying, they're the only shoes we've worn for the last seven years and we've sought them out and become good friends with them. They're an amazing business, a B Corp business, and really about doing the best that they can do as a business to better the world. They've offered you 15% discount off any Vivo Barefoot Shoes. They have a full range of women's, men's, kids in all different styles. Uh, simply use the code HAPPYPAIR15 at the checkout. And really, we found it to be so beneficial for building strong knees, hips, backs, and for general. Like, I really find it helps me move more and feel more at home in my body. And what will that code give you? It gives you 15% discount off any pair of Vivo Barefoot shoes. Just go to vivobarefoot.com and use the code HAPPYPAIR15 to get 15% off. So, so, so excess fat really is is what is slowing people's metabolism down and inhibiting the amount of energy and the capacity for their body to function more optimally. And I guess the question on most people's um, ears who are listening are going, well, like, how do I burn fat? Or what's the answer? Why do we put fat on as we get older? And I'm sure through your books, you've got, you know, you've been asked this question a million times. Yeah, listen, the great news is that there's multiple ways of actually tackling this excess body fat. I'm not, listen, we're all, we're all built differently. All right. I mean, you guys are built pretty similarly. Actually, we're probably, the three of us are probably built fairly similarly, but I can tell you some people have big frames and people have thin frames. And I don't like to judge people by the number on the scale because everyone's body uh, size is gonna be adapted for them. And, and a great way of thinking about that, and uh, I think uh, 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 taking the shame away from body mass and body shape is really taking a look at the fittest people on the planet, okay, are Olympians. Right. Every four years, you check out, you turn on the telly and you look at the Olympics and you've got these big burly weightlifters. OK. And shot putters. OK. These guys are at the top of their game of fitness. They're big people. You look at the gymnasts. They're tiny. You look at the lanky uh, 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 people who do a track. Right. Uh, oh, right. So body shape does not equate to, uh, 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 you know, unhealthiness. I, I want to put that out there. It's really important. Anybody listen to this, you just can't judge the health by the size of the package. Now, obviously, many people will inherently know if they're carrying too much weight around. You're not feeling good. You're, you know, you're not, you know, we we know. We're, we're, we all have our own internal kind of compass to know when we're actually carrying too much weight around. But I will tell you that the good, and, and if you, and if you actually, by the way, don't eat, don't go to the, petrol station to fill up the fuel in your tank, if you don't eat food, fast or starve, you know, intermittent fasting is what we do every night when we're sleeping, we're not eating, uh, we'll actually lose, we'll burn some fat down when we're sleeping. That's partly why intermittent fasting works. But if you actually don't eat for a day, okay, uh, um, you'll lose more weight. If you fast for a couple of days, like some people do more intensively, you'll you'll definitely lose more weight. Um, if you were shipwrecked on a desert island without any uh, real food, like Tom Hanks was in Castaway, you're definitely going to become skinny. And then if you're out in the desert someplace, you're going to turn to a stick before you turn into bones, a pile of bones. Okay, so this is what happens if you don't eat. And so much of diet culture has been about elimination, deprivation, starvation, restriction, right? And then, and then diet culture is all about fear, guilt, and shame. I have some good news for people based on all the research that's been going on. And the good news is that we can actually fight harmful excess fat by eating foods. 
we can actually eat food to fight fat. Got to eat the right foods. And it turns out that the right foods have these polyphenols and the polyphenols can activate our own hardwiring system. It's it's locked, it's, it's ca captured in a little, we've got a secret fat burning weapon in our bodies. It's called brown fat. That's right. It's fat, but it's, but it's not white. It's not wiggly jiggly. It's brown and it's paper thin, wafer thin. It's not close to the surface. You can't see it in a mirror. It's close to the bone around our neck, underneath our breastbone, a little bit under your, our arms, like a girdle. And that, you know, that system, our brown fat system, when you trigger it with the right food will fire up and it will actually burn away harmful excess body fat. So we can eat to fight fat. Pretty amazing. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Brain that, we had amazing. Susanna Soberg on talking about brown fat, and she was talking about how one way, like she described brown fat as kind of almost like it's our body's ability to regulate temperature. And that yeah. through exposing ourselves to warmer temperatures and cooler temperatures, we can grow our brown fat, which in yeah. turn increase our capacity to Burn eat down. our white fat. That's exactly right. Now, so think think about it. You guys have I'm sure heard about cold plunges, right? Anybody well, we, to... we swim in the cold Irish Sea every day, so we know. <laughs> we know cold better. well. We yeah. know cold really well. Right. So you guys know this really well. So the 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 very um, uh, current overall trend of cold doing cold plunges actually it's not that new. Like people in Iceland have been doing it for, and Nordic countries have been doing this for you know hundreds of years as part of their ritual, right? But the key is that when you plunge yourself in the cold temperatures, you're absolutely right. It actually fires up the brown fat to try to warm our body. But when our our, our, our brown fat is turned on, it's got to draw that fuel to create the heat from someplace. And that place that it draws down from is our white fat. So I want to explain a little bit about um, fat first, because I think that that's helpful for somebody to <clears throat> really understand. Amazing. If you've ever actually painted, done a house project and you're painting your room, <clears throat> you know, room in your house, and you're going to just, you're going to say, well, one color is too boring. I'm going to do two colors. So you go, what do you do? You go to the car wear store, the paint store, and you go and stand in front of all these swatches of colors and you pick out two that are going to complement. And then you just buy two buckets of different color paint and you bring it home. Well, um, Mother Nature, when she designed our fat, decided that she would paint our fat two colors. White fat would be one color and brown fat would be the other color. Now, they're completely different though. And this is what modern research has figured out. White fat is um, uh, wiggly jiggly. It's the fuel tank, prim primary fuel tanks that we need. It's a, it's a subcutaneous, it's under the skin. So when you actually step out of the shower in the morning, look, you guys are pretty fit, I'm pretty fit. You step out of the shower, even for us, you look out of the corner, you see in the mirror, the naked body. I'm sure at some point in your recent lives, you've seen a lump or a bump that you're like, you know what? I'm not happy about that. Okay. And then you step on the scale and you're, and if you, that number isn't exactly what you want it to be, you go, damn, I got to actually do something about that. Right. That's, you're looking at your, your, our associations of white fat are all based on what we can see and what we think we can actually measure. So that's under the jaw, that's under the chin, under the arms, that is the muffin top, you know, under the belt, around the belt, that's your thigh fat if you're a woman or butt fat, you know, like this is what people talk about. This is what prevents people from looking the way they want to look at the beach. Now, there's another kind of white fat, okay, um, that's inside the tube of our body. 
Now you can again have a big tube because you're a big frame or you can have a thin tube. Regardless of the size of your tube, you can have way too much extra fat growing inside there. That's white fat as well, called visceral fat, gut fat. That's the dangerous stuff because when that fat exceeds what it's supposed to be and it's wrapped around your organs to have inflammatory fat wrapped around your kidneys, your heart, you know, your 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 liver, that's very dangerous stuff. That leaks inflammation everywhere. It's a setup from everything from uh, uh, fatigue, chronic fatigue to cancer, frankly, and probably dementia as well. So you can be a thin person and have too much extra body fat as well. So what you want to do is to burn that down. How do we burn that down? Well, you can exercise, go to the gym, work out, get a trainer, go for a walk 30 minutes after dinner. That'll burn it down. Um, by the way, sleeping, when you're not eating, you're not filling up your fuel tank, your body naturally does what you do after you finish filling up the, your car with petrol. You pull it out, you put it back on the on the, on the the pump, you close up the tank, you get back in your car, you start the engine, you drive off, right? When we actually are sleeping and not eating, okay, not eating means you're not filling up the tank, we drive off. So even when we're sleeping, we're burning down fuel from our tanks, which is our body fat. So we do a little bit of that when we're sleeping. Now, you want to go on a hyperdrive and you want to really burn that stuff down. Here's what we do. Our brown fat is designed to help us do that. Again, think of brown fat, which is not wiggly jiggly. Uh, as I mentioned, it's close to the bone and where it's located is around the strap muscles of your neck, behind your breastbone and under your arms, like a girdle, a little bit sprinkled in your belly. All right. Um, uh, when we actually uh, enter cold weather, that uh, brown fat turns on. It turns on like the gas burner in your kitchen, right? So what do we do when we go to our kitchen? If you got a gas burner, you want to boil some water, you want to make some heat up some soup. You go to the range, you go, you turn on the knob, click, click, click. What happens? Whoosh. Now you've got the flame on your stovetop, right? Now, that's what brown fat does. It works exactly like that. Now, where does in your on your kitchen your um, your gas burner is getting that is is getting the fuel to create that heat from your gas line? Maybe a gas tank, maybe the the, the the town gas. All right. But the key thing is that where's our brown fat getting it when our when we turn on our brown fat? Click 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 whoosh. Where's it getting that that energy from for the heat for temperature regulation? As you said. It's getting it from the white fat. It actually steals the fuel from the white fat to burn it down. Now, where did we discover brown fat? Uh, did you guys talk about where the history of brown Probably, fat? Like, was I'd imagine it was up in like Inuit people or people up in Iceland or Nordic people that typically had more brown fat just to keep themselves warm. Like the probability is that in cold climates, people have more brown fat, irrespective great, of how much white fat they have. Great guess. Uh, and, and you're in the right direction. Actually, it was in the 1800s, there was a naturalist who was studying in Europe, the alpine marmot, uh, M-A-R-M-O-T. This is a little groundhoggy looking critter that hibernates, it lives in the mountains, okay, where it's really cold uh, in the wintertime. And you know what happens when animals hibernate, like they spend all fall pigging out, they get their big cheeks filled, they turn into these big round furry balls. And then what do they do? They waddle into their caves and they sit there and you know what? They don't die even though it's cold. You know why? Because their brown fat actually fires up and keeps them warm. For and months why on they, end. And where do they get their brown fat? Where do they get their fuel? From all the food that they ate. So that's basically how hibernating animals actually, and the first naturalist in the 1800s 
was, you know, they, this is what they used to do in the 1800s. They used to dissect the animals to see how they work. They found this little brown lump between your shoulder blades of these marmots. And the, the dude was like, I don't know what that is. It's really weird looking. It wasn't until the 1930s when a scientist at UCLA with a microscope looked at that same brown mound and said, you know what? That's fat. That's body fat. But it's not any, any kind of body fat. It's it's brown colored. And then when they looked closer, they found that there's a lot of mitochondria inside the brown fat. And mitochondria is a organelle, it's a part of a cell that acts as a nuclear fuel, like a nuclear battery. Okay. And this, these mitochondria, which you know, you probably heard about talking about health and energetics, mitochondria function with a lot of iron. Iron, like the same iron you'd have in a pile of nails, right? So what happens when you put a pile of nails outside of your porch um, for a week? Rusts, oxidizes, and what colors it turn? Orange. Kind of orange brown. brown. Yeah. Orange brown. That's exactly why brown fat is brown. So now you're always going to remember that brown fat is brown because it's got iron in it, and the iron's in the mitochondria. The mitochondria are these nuclear batteries that generate the heat. Where do they get the power from? They get the fuel right from the white fat. That's how this whole thing works. So when you go for a cold plunge, okay, you're absolutely doing what these hibernating animals do. You're exposing your body to really low temperatures. Brown fat goes click, 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 whoosh, and you're starting to draw down from the uh, from the white fat. But the good news is that I mean, most people don't like to be in super cold temperatures uh, all the time. But what the new research shows is there are foods that you can eat that can actually turn on your brown fat to go click, 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 whoosh and start to burn things down. So this is why we can eat to beat the need for a diet. That's amazing. It's amazing that food can do it now because that's definitely like you've got a very new message with that. Like obviously we have to go now straight into what are the foods, Dr. Lee, that help us, you know, turn on more brown fat or grow more brown fat and burn more white fat. Because ultimately like, you know, the average person nowadays, like we live in an obesogenic culture where most people's metabolism are reflected by, the, they've more body fat than they actually want. Typically middle-aged people have more body yep. fat than they want. And yep. and like diet obviously is a huge aspect to this. So what are the foods that can really help people turn on brown fat and help their metabolism to burn more energy really? Surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, the research has shown Many of the food ingredients that can turn on your brown fat are the same foods that are found in traditional Mediterranean diets and recipes, cuisine, as as well as traditional Asian uh, cuisine. All right. Now, we know these are two of the healthiest cultures in the world if you go back to traditional uh, uh, eating patterns. Uh, and, um, and they're also some of the tastiest, right? I mean, it doesn't matter where you go around the world, you go to a Mediterranean restaurant or you go to an Asian restaurant, most people can find something they like on the menu. All right. That, that, yeah. t- that tastes great. So that's all good news, right? We can just kind of look around. So let me give you sort of, a, let me tear a page from the playbook, of the Mediterranean, um, menu and, and show you some of the ingredients. All right. Garlic can actually turn on brown fat. There's a natural chemical called allium that fires up your brown fat. Tomatoes. Tomatoes have a natural substance called lycopene. Lycopene actually dissolves in fat. So when you eat a tomato, um, uh, the lycopene absorbs from your stomach into your bloodstream. You know, the first place it goes to, like a heat-seeking missile, lycopene goes to your body fat. In fact, this has been studied in 
women who are in college age or graduate school level. Um, this was done in a study done at Tufts. They gave they gave them um, uh, uh, a tomato uh, foods to eat with lycopene, and it turns out that the first place it goes is to the belly fat. Second place, visceral fat. Second place it goes is to the uh, butt fat. Third place it goes is to thigh fat, and it lodges there, kind of like just waiting to actually do its thing. Lycopene triggers on brown fat, and then it starts to burn down the excess body fat that you don't need. Starts with the center of the tube where you don't want it. All right. Um, uh, strawberries will do it. Uh, purple potatoes will actually turn on uh, brown fat. Cranberries will actually turn on brown fat. There are um, substances in uh, uh, herbs and spices that you would find around the holidays. Rosemary, thyme, oregano, so, all do it. Is, is it a lot of antioxidant-rich foods? Like, you know, a lot of the foods you're describing here have hugely bright colors, like such as your turmerics and your blueberries and your, yeah. you know, all of that type of thing. Um, you know, I'd imagine that's some contributing factor. Yeah, well, so the same things, uh, these mother nature is really, really resourceful. The same natural substances that are found, healthful substances, polyphenols found in foods, and uh, actually will do multi, have multiple job descriptions. Some One thing they do is our antioxidants. The other thing they do is they actually lower inflammation. The other thing they do is they keep your circulation healthy. And then the newest thing that, that many of these same bioactives do, we call them bioactives because they're biologically active when you eat them, is they actually turn on your brown fat. And so, by the way, this has been studied in humans. It's not just theory. So I'll, I'll cite one of the most dramatic um, uh, research studies I've, I've seen on, on the brown fat site. There was a study in, at the University of Porto in Portugal looking at uh, women, uh, young uh, women, college-age women who were... Uh, normal weight. So they were not overweight. They were not obese, nor were they stick thin, just normal body size. And uh, what they wanted to study the power of the tomato to cause them to lose weight. So, and by turning on the brown fat. So they, all they did is they gave these women in this, this research study, the only thing they did is they gave them one ripe tomato to eat an hour before lunch every day. That's it. One tomato. They could, they, no special exercise, no special diet, no elimination, nothing, no trainer. And um, and what they did is they measured uh, with their uh, waist size, they measured all their parameters, they measured inflammation, and they did this for a month. And with tomato, one to ripe tomato being the only intervention at the end of 30 days, four weeks, what they found is these women lost um, about a pound, 1.2 pounds. Now you're like, man, eh, 1.2 pounds, that's not very impressive. Sure. Except that this is the effect of one tomato. That's it. All right. And the lycopene was able to do that. Their waist size shrank by about an inch. And the uh, weight loss, and by the way, when you're shrinking your waist size, so think about the butt, the tube of the body, right? Your waist size expands when the fat inside there gets bigger. Now you're stretching the tube to be, that's why you need a, the belt loop needs to be loosened. When you lose that harmful visceral body fat, your waist will shrink back, collapse back, and that's why you can tighten your belt again and fit into a pair of pants or a dress, right? This is the whole secret to actually knowing whether or not you're losing the visceral fat is by, it's really simple. You can just kind of look at your waist size. And on the topic of visceral fat, uh, Dr. Lee, is there like, is there a different approach to losing, say, visceral fat than just normal body fat? Or are they treated the same? The body treats the same. And it just, the way the body works is it just breaks down whatever fat it, it kind of needs to first. You can't target an area. It just, 
it will naturally be consumed as the body requires more energy. Yeah, it's, it, your, your body will start with the harmful visceral fat. Okay. Just think about it. The excess visceral fat in your body, it's inflammatory if you have too much of it. It's, it your body doesn't want it. It's going to try to put the fire out where it's going to burn down the whole house first. So that's why it basically shrinks the visceral fat, excess visceral fat first. If you keep starving, you know, uh, uh, you'll you'll see like if you're on a desert island, you start with that stuff, okay? Um, your genes will become loose in the desert, okay, or in the jungle if you're not eating stuff, and then eventually, you, you know, you'll start to you'll start to lose fat elsewhere. Now, the key about not eating and why starvation is not or extreme fasting is not a good way to lose fat is you also lose muscle mass. By not taking in protein, you're losing muscle mass as well, which is which you need protein for to maintain that. So not eating as a way of actually, I mean, like extreme, not extreme fasting as a way of losing harmful body fat is just not a healthy way to go because you're also losing that critical muscle we need for our health. Amazing. Amazing. Is it true the concept that your metabolism is a reflection of your lean muscle mass? That as you have lean more muscle, lean more lean muscle, your metabolism will speed up in proportion. In that well, an think, Olympic sprinter yeah. will have a different metabolism than someone who's obese. Yeah. Well, well, think about think about what this research study showed. There's a um, operating system that uh, is smothered by excess body fat. So when you have more lean muscle mass, you have less visceral fat, you have less overall body fat, you're actually unleashing your inner metabolism. Okay. Now, you know, people who are training will also unleash other things that can actually drive up the metabolism. You can actually push up the metabolism with some things. Adrenaline will do it. You know, other things can actually start to, you know, thyroid hormones will do it. You can <clears throat> certainly dope up your metabolism. But the bottom line is for people who are really, really intensively training, will um, improve their lean muscle mass uh, as a consequence of what they're doing to their bodies. And then their metabolism will rise up to the surface. Yeah, there, there was one thing I, I heard you uh, refer to, which I thought was very relevant. Like our business is called Happy Pear. And uh, you you were talking about eating two pears a day, like eating a happy pear um, helps you over for a month, you know, because it's got lots of fiber and plant cellulose and whatnot. And um, people have found to lose up to three pounds by simply adding two pairs a day to their diet. Yeah, well, so this is a research study that was done looking at the effects of pear, which have <clears throat> dietary fiber, good for gut health. Gut health is incredibly important for lowering inflammation, for, right, for streamlining our metabolism. Look, I mean, if you could ask for anything for the holidays, for Christmas, you know, like that Santa present that, you know, that, that wasn't, you know, like it's such a fit in the stockings. It doesn't, it can't be too big. <clears throat> I can tell you that my health wish, you know, uh, in the stocking would be, can I just have my metabolism streamlined a little bit from wherever I am? Like that would be the present that you'd want to open up just streamlining. So it's not lumpy, bumpy and crazy and going ever off the rep. And this is what how your gut does. Healthy gut bacteria will streamline your metabolism, even out the way your glucose works, even out the way your insulin is able to draw that energy in. Your metabolism will be, become better. It might not be perfect, but good gut health will get you on your way there and lower cholesterol, lower inflammation, all those things you want. That comes from a pear, by the way. <clears throat> Pears can actually do that very well as well as, well as other fruit, but pear... You, you happen to be talking about one of my favorite fall winter fruits. There's nothing I like more uh, than, than a really nice, ripe, um, juicy pear in the winter. Now, there, there's something else that you need to know about this in a pear. 
and that's something called chlorogenic acid. Chlorogenic acid is a natural substance. It's also found in apples. I prefer pear myself. It's also found in coffee. I do like coffee. All right. Oh, um, nice. and, and by the way, organic coffee beans will have more of the chlorogenic acid, just like organic pears will also have more of the chlorogenic acid. And the reason is both the coffee plant as well as the pear tree makes this chlorogenic acid as a response to natural response to um, uh, where they grow in nature, where you have little insects nibbling on the, on the stems and the leaves. That's called an injury to the plant. And chlorogenic acid is a wound healing response of the coffee, of the pear tree. Um, so it fills up the fruit. So when you actually treat with pesticides, conventionally grown, you don't need to make so much because you're not being injured so much. But when you just allow it to live the way that Mother Nature designed, okay, that's like what normally happens is that, hey, you know, you got a little nibbling on those leaves. Let's make some more chlorogenic acid. This is why organic foods always, almost always have been known uh, now known, discovered, and now known to have more of the good stuff. Now, chlorogenic acid turns down brown fat. Chlorogenic acid burns down visceral fat, and that's why two pairs a day have been studied and actually shrink your waistline, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. It really, really is. There's two things I'd love to ask you, Dr. Lee. One is on the topic of like technology, such as continued glucose monitor. I've heard you talk about, I think it was Lumen. I think it's like, uh, I heard you talk about where, say, you're stopped by a police officer and you're getting breathalyzed to measure, you know, have you consumed alcohol? But similarly, there's new technology to see if you're burning protein or you're burning starch and how your body is functioning. I wonder if you could talk briefly on the topic of tech to help people understand their metabolism, how their body's functioning and whether you think this is good or not. Yeah. Okay. So what's really great about technology is that it lets us connect our bodies to our phones, right? And we can actually get some kind of number. Do we have, do we have all the best technology yet? Nope. But we're actually making good progress. Do the, are the numbers accurate? You know, the best devices will actually give us pretty good numbers, like a continuous glucose monitor. Um, do we know what to do with the numbers? Not a hundred percent, which is why I like the idea of, you know, the quantified self, you can kind of measure how you're doing, you know, look, we used to step on scales as the only thing we can do. And then there's DEXA scans. And now we've got, you know, um, uh, uh, trackers for our, on our phone that can measure heartbeat. Then you actually put the continuous glucose monitor, all great for the better we understand ourselves, the more we are aware of our, our being. And I think that's a really good thing to do. Um, are we ready for those numbers to tell us what recipe we need to eat, how many steps we need to take? I think that's a little bit of a reach that I don't think we're quite ready yet, but look, people who make these devices, you know, they're selling something. Uh, and, and so <clears throat> I, I, and you know, they're businesses, so I, I credit them for that. But I think that overall, if you want to actually measure yourself, you're a biohacker, you're just interested in it, you want to uh, give it to somebody who you think could actually is interested in improving their health, I think that's great. Now, the thing we were talking about, I think is super cool and that I was dreaming of until I somebody gave me one and said, look, here it is. What you've been asking for is, <clears throat> you know, we can, I'm a doctor, so I can order a blood test. You can ask somebody to put a cup of urine together, uh, uh, you know, but I thought, you know what, that's a that's a, a that's a real bummer. It'd be great if you can actually do something like a breathalyzer, uh, uh, just exactly as you were describing. You get pulled over in a highway. The police comes over and he's like, you know, have you been drinking anything? No. 
he wants to prove it. So, you know, you step out of the car and you inhale or exhale in this thing, and it'll tell the officer if you've had higher than acceptable amounts of safe limits of driving, <clears throat> of alcohol for driving. We can do that for metabolism now, which is really, really cool. It's a device called the Lumen, L-U-M-E-N. I don't make any money on this right now, but I'm just telling you that it's something that I thought was so amazing that, um, remember I told you, you, you can drink water and you can measure the breath, the hydrogen and the oxygen. Same deal. Now, this time it measures carbon dioxide and it does the calculation and it presents a number on your phone. Now, what number, you know, what, what kind of scoring system does it give? I, on the back end, there's a lot of real complicated numbers. The company, as I understand it, because I talked to them about it, they present more or less like <clears throat> red light, yellow light, green light, one, two, three, four, five, or something like that. It's not as detailed as I would like, but I'm kind of a scientist, so I'm real geeky about numbers. I like to know: Am I one? If I'm one point, if I'm am I one point eight or one point nine? I want to know that. Like I'm the kind of guy that would want to know that. Um, but you know, look, I think it's a good start. Red light, green light, yellow light. That's a useful uh, kind of indicator. Again, do we know what recipes we want and how many steps we need to take and how many miles we need to run? I don't think we're, we know that yet because everything is so individualized, but the research is going on. Um, I'm confident we'll eventually get there, but I, I do like the idea that tech can help us live our best life. Yeah, very smart. Uh, a question which came up there in my head, and and I know I, I have my own ideas behind it, is in terms of fat burning. So a lot of people listening will go, fat burning, okay. Like, which would you be a proponent for? And I imagine I, I have an idea what the answer is. Food versus exercise. Because you see a lot of people, they want to lose weight. They join the gym or they buy new running shoes. They buy a new tracksuit and they're out, you know, doing that, but they're not really changing their diet. Whereas other people kind of, you know, have the idea that abs are made in the kitchen or losing weight is made in the kitchen. Like, what is your empirical doctor-driven answer to weight loss, exercise versus diet? Yeah, well, look, there it, it isn't one or the other. It's both. Um, remember I told you that our the food that we eat is the fuel and our fuel are, is used by the engine of our body, our metabolism in order to run, <clears throat> run what we, you know, run, get us from point A to point B. Exercise is just like driving your car faster. You put the pedal to the metal and you're going as fast as you can in the fast lane, passing lane, and you're going to burn down fuel more. And so you're going to lose more weight. So exercise is incredibly important. And we know this is important because people who don't exercise, the so-called couch potato, who doesn't move, and you don't need a trainer. You don't need to be competing for a marathon, training, ready, getting ready for a marathon. You just need to move. You know, I, I tell people who go like, oh my God, that's like a whole other thing I, I can't add to my life. Look, anybody can walk for 20 to 30 minutes at some point during a day, okay? And if you look at the blue zones, by the way, where people are living well into their hundreds on a regular basis. These are places where they walk to dinner. They walk to the store. They don't just get into their car and they drive out. Unfortunately, in many cities in modernized societies today, you got to get into a car to drive. I mean, think about Los Angeles. You couldn't even go get your groceries <clears throat> unless you, uh, you unless you had a car. And it's even worse. You could be sitting on a, as a, on your couch waiting for Amazon to deliver your groceries to you. Now you just need to walk right. to the door. I'm talking about regular 20, 30 minute brisk walking where you know, like you're you're still able to talk, but just on a border of being able to talk. That's even that's enough for 30 minutes. Walk around the block. If it's raining and you live in an apartment building, do a couple of stairs or even your house. Do some loops around, do some loops somewhere around your house. 
You want to get a treadmill? That's also fine. But that's the minimum amount of exercise you want to get. And they can go up from there. If you do all that exercise and you don't change your diet and you have poor quality fuel, you're loading into your body. Okay. And it's like using the, buying the cheapest petrol you can get and driving your race car as fast as you can. Guarantee you, not going to turn out well for your car. All right. Performance is going to suffer big time. Same, by the same token, uh, you can choose um, good quality fuel, but if you but if you um, uh, uh, but if you don't exercise, you're not going to burn it down. You're just going to keep on piling up fuel. So, good quality food, okay, mostly plant based, but also seafood can also contribute to that. I know the last time I was in Dublin, I think I had Dublin prawns, langoustines, <clears throat> and langoustines actually a great source of omega three fatty acids. Omega three fatty acids turn on brown fat. Okay, to burn wow. down harmful body fat. So not just salmon, salmon works too, but you can actually have shellfish and all kinds of other um, fish that have uh, good omega-3 fatty acids. So again, there's a repertoire of foods that are actually good for helping to burn down good fat, uh, uh, burn bad fat, in, but using good fat, brown fat to burn down white fat. Exercise is important. By the way, good quality sleep is also important. Good quality sleep allows you your metabolism while you're sleeping to actually kick in and start burning down that extra fuel from the day. So when you're not sleeping very deeply, you're not, your metabolism isn't doing as much as it could. Now the next day you're eating more food, you're eating more food and you're still not getting much sleep and you're not exercising. You get the drift. You know, you start to just start to accumulate body fat. And this is basically why, this is another reason, by the way, why as we get into middle age, okay, we got more stress, which is a whole other deal to actually gain body excess body fat. Stress derails um, our metabolism as well. Not when you're stressed, you're not sleeping well. When you're not sleeping well, you don't feel like exercising. And you know when you got all this stress, you might not be eating well. Also, now you can kind of see this is sort of like the four horsemen all coming at you to create this health calamity that derails your metabolism. Which is why having this understanding of why we want to get the best quality of sleep possible manage stress, you know, somehow we all have some ways, get a therapist if you need to, or get it, or just call up your good friends or go see a comedy or do something, do something that helps you let off some steam and chill just a little bit, stay active, eat the right foods. Those are the four uh, 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 posts that you need to be able to sit on good health going forward. Amazing, amazing. There's, there's one thing I'd love you to share with uh, everyone who's listening, which I've heard you talk about before, and I think it's so practical and so relevant to everyone. Um, like the importance of, of like now in, intermittent fasting is, is not for everyone. Like it really isn't in some way. But you, you talk of a really simple way of just extending out your pretty much sleeping window. And it's so relevant. Could you share that? Because it's everyone who's listening is going to go, that's really practical. I'm all about practical, right? Like, I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor and I could, I could just overwhelm you with technical information and science information, medical science, I'm also a researcher. But I, at the end of the day, everyone I've ever coached, counseled, or taken care of as a doctor, they just want to know what to do. Like, and, and it's got to make sense to them. They got to be able to put it into action. So when it comes, so the question I often get asked is, hey, Dr. Lee, what about this whole intermittent fasting thing, this 16-8 thing, like, you know, should I do it? Um, you know, should I do more? Uh, what's the deal? And what and what I tell people is that intermittent fasting is the most natural thing 
that we can all do. And it's not, it is a trend, but it's not new. It's been, we've, it's gone back for the whole time that we've been, we humans have been in existence because we exist every single day eating during certain parts of the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, let's say. And then we, we didn't, we're sleeping, we're not eating, right? And so that's intermittently fasting and intermittently eating. It's very natural to us. And especially when we're sleeping, we're fasting, we're not eating, we're fasting. And so we wake up, <clears throat> we go back to eating. That's intermittent. We do it over the course of a week. We do it seven times. We're fasting and we're eating another seven periods of time. Okay. Natural. What, why, why is, what does fasting do? Well, when we're eating food, we're at the petrol station filling up on our fuel, as I was, we were discussing our body's really smart. And just like, you know, when you go fill up your car at a filling station, what do you do when you, before you turn on your gas, you turn off your car, be kind of silly to keep your car running a little dangerous too, <clears throat> while you're actually um, filling up the gas. And so basically what our metabolism does is when we're sitting down at the dinner table or the restaurant or, you know, the pantry, uh, picking something out of the pantry and we're loading up in our fuel, our metabolism turns off the burn switch. So we're not burning energy while we're filling it up. Doesn't make any sense. You want to fill up as quickly and as efficiently as you can. So that's our metabolism. Now that's when we're eating. Now, when we're actually um, uh, fasting or not eating at night when we're sleeping, our metabolism says, oh, no more fuel coming in. Let's switch gears just like in a car, like, and let's switch gears to fat burning. Now, while you're sleeping, you're burning your fat, your body shifts into gear all by itself. So in the time you're not eating every night when you're sleeping, you're actually burning extra body fat. You're burning down fuel. That's why intermittent fasting works. You can't eat too much during a day and you want to eat good quality food. But when you're sleeping, <clears throat> you're burning it down. Now, if you eat way more and you're not exercising and you're not getting good quality sleep, you're going to build up more and more and more fat. That's why volume control, quality control all makes a difference. Okay. Now, let's say you eat normally. Um, how can you get more fat burning out of this? How can you get more? And by the way, when you burn down the fat, remember what we said, burn down the fat, metabolism rises up to its natural water line. That's what you want. You want your metabolism to rise to where it wants to be. All, be all you can be, as they say. And this is actually what to do. Um, but that's why sleeping and fasting will actually do that. Burns down the fat and let your metabolism rise to its normal level. Okay, so how do we actually get the most out of this? Well, 16 and 8 <clears throat> came out of a research study. Did you did you, ever, you guys ever hear the story about, uh, or do you know the answer why no, 16 no. and why 8? And 16 means that you're fasting for 16 hours and eating only eight hours. So it's quite a yeah, narrow absolutely. eating window. Yeah. Think about eating everything in eight hours. Like if you were to get up at six in the morning, like you're going to be done eating all you're eating by what, by four o'clock in the afternoon. Like that's difficult for everyone, most people to do. Okay. Well, actually no, by two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Two o'clock I was thinking there. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very difficult for people to do to squeeze all their eating in this narrow, not practical for me. I can tell you, it would be very, very hard for me. I could do it maybe for a week. All right. But then it would, but then the rest of my life is just way too busy. So most people can't squeeze into eight, but let me tell you the, do you want to know the story of how six yeah, love to, please. All right. First of all, you need to know, it didn't come from a human study, although Recently, a human research study did show that 16 and 8 actually does work. Okay, you do lose weight. Your metabolism does improve. The original 16-8 came from a mouse study. And you're like, what? Mouse? Yeah. There was an experiment to see if you were to actually 
feed the mice for eight hours and then don't feed them for 16 hours, these fat, these are fat mice, like obese mice, would they actually lose weight? And so why did they choose 16 and eight? Was there some magic, scientific, mathematical thing, some theory? Nope. Turns out that the person who was doing the research had a significant other at home who was really pissed off that the research might keep them in the lab um, all day long. And so they had a big squabble, okay, uh, and finally agreed, okay, handshake agreement, all right, that if this experiment were to continue, or in other words, if the relationship were to continue, that the agreed upon deal would be that um, this the researcher would be in the lab for eight hours to feed the mice and then would have work-life balance and go home to be with her significant other, okay? That's how 16 and 8 came about. There was no science to it. It was basically <laughs> an agreement between two people. That's brilliant. Okay. That will actually help you understand that this is a somewhat arbitrary number. And um, I will tell you that 16 and 8 does work, but 12 and 12 also works. If you eat 12 and you fast for 12, which I can do. All right. And I'm going to tell you how, how it's so practical in order to be able to do it. Okay. So you know you're supposed to sleep for eight hours, right? Like that's the ideal. Some of us sleep less, some of us sleep more, but eight hours lets your body recharge, regenerate, rejuvenate itself. We can reset, our metabolism gets good at about eight hours. Seven hours, you know, your body's uh, clamoring for one more hour. Nine hours, you know, okay, it's okay. 10 hours, way too much sleep. <clears throat> now you're kind of doping yourself to sleep. So eight hours turns out to be roughly the magic number. Okay, so here's how you get more fat burning, metabolism activating power out of your day in a very practical way. <clears throat> when I eat dinner, <clears throat> let's say I eat at seven o'clock in the evening. Not everybody doesn't, this is an example. Most people eat dinner for about an hour. Now after, when, I, when I'm done with dinner at eight o'clock, I will put my dishes in the sink and that's it. I'm not eating anymore until the next day. No midnight snack, no late dessert. I'm not going to reach for a bag of chips. I'm not you know, um, noshing on things, watching the telly, uh, you know, on, on my couch, not doing any of that stuff. All right. I put my dish away. That's part of my commitment. I'm done. Okay. I've had, I just had my meal. Now I'm done. Dishes are in the sink. Now let's say that you put your dishes in the sink at eight o'clock. And for the sake of argument, let's say you go to bed at 11 o'clock. All right. So if you want eight hours of sleep, you sleep from 11 to seven in the morning, right? That's eight hours of sleep. And um, if you put your dishes away, uh, and and by the way, those 11 hours from 11 to 7 are your metabolism activating fat burning time, all right? But if you put your dishes away at 8 and you're not eating, your metabolism will switch into fat burning mode from 8 to 11. You get three extra hours, okay, of fat burning. And then you actually get uh, those eight hours um, that you're going to be sleeping anyway, three hours after the dishes in the sink, plus eight hours of sleeping time, that's 11 hours, Okay, now you've just almost got 50% more metabolism activating fat burning time. Now, when I get up in the morning, uh, how do I get even more out of it? I can tell you, um, I do not do what my mom told me to do when I was growing up, right? So this is probably your situation as well. Remember, you get up in the morning, you're, you're sleeping, your, your mom gets you up and like, hurry up and get down to the breakfast table, eat some breakfast before you go to school, you know, race to catch a school bus or whatever. That was my my young life. 
All right. And I can tell you, I always ate something quickly. And, and how many of us have this lifelong pattern of just like getting up, going down and just eating breakfast? It's a pattern. Now, as an adult, you don't need to eat right away. Okay. And so what I do when I get up in the morning, I will take an, an hour before I actually eat anything. I'm taking a shower. I'm getting dressed. I'm grooming. I'm actually going to check my email. I might go out for a walk. I might read the newspaper. I might catch up. I'm doing something. All right. For an hour before I eat minimal. Now let's do the math. Eight o'clock dishes go away. Three hours till bedtime. Three hours. Okay. 11 to seven, eight hours. Now I got 11 hours of, of, of uh, fasting and uh, metabolism activating fat burning time. Now I'm actually not eating food for yet another hour. Now that's 11 plus one extra hour I gave myself. Now it's 12 hours. Now I've spent 12 out of 24 hours, 50% of the day burning excess body fat and allowing my metabolism to rise. Hey, you know what? That's a pretty easy way to do it. All I've asked you to do, that's all I've asked you to do is to actually not, um, uh, not eat after dinner and give yourself an extra hour before we eat breakfast. And sometimes I'll skip breakfast altogether and I'll just wait till lunch to eat something. And so long as you don't, then I'll, I'll get extra time out of that. And so long as you don't overeat when you're eating lunch, you're going to be totally fine. So this is my real practical way of getting into sort of optimizing your metabolism with things that almost anybody could actually do. That one's brilliant. Like I really, really appreciate it. Just how anyone listening, I've, I listened to you here before and I was like, I'm going to start doing that. Like even... You know, two nights ago, it was like I could see myself going to snack at something. I was like, no, no. And then, uh, you know, this morning making kids lunches, it was still, I was like, no, I'm not going to pick at anything. It's, it would be easy to mindlessly pick, but no, I'm going to yeah. keep the burn going. It's so, it's so, it's so practical. Look, um, our health is the sum of all these little decisions that we make throughout our life. Something small like that, that's not, not such a big ask, can make a big difference over time. So I just encourage people to, you know, you, you know, like what they always say, don't take the easy way out. In this case, I'm telling you, take that easy way out. <laughs> this is the simplest way without having to stress yourself out, especially around the holidays, right? I mean, like, you know, you go into busy periods where you have lots of social events and you don't get to control your time. I always tell people, don't eat quite so much. I mean, you know, regardless of when the holidays, could be Easter, could be the summer holidays, could be a birthday, Whatever it is, don't get too stressed out. Um, uh, uh, don't eat, don't overeat. Try to just be mindful that you want to give yourself enough time, your body, to actually catch up and burn off that extra body fat. And then your metabolism, you'll you'll definitely feel your energy over time improve. This has been brilliant, Dr. Lee. Thanks so much for sharing all this information. Like it's it really is so practical and so useful to learn that everyday foods which people know about but to really understand why to incorporate things like tomatoes and garlic and practical everyday things. Pears. Pears, pears yes. Two yes. pears, two pears a day to lose I three pounds it. every month uh, by simply eating that. Yeah, it's brilliant, really, really practical. And that last piece of advice, I think, is just so applicable. It's so relevant to everyone. So. And in terms of your book, your latest book is out. I think it's been it's out. It's a New York Times bestseller as well. Both your books are now New York Times bestsellers, I believe. Congratulations. Yeah, the, you know, my first book was Eat to Beat Disease. It talks about the body's health defenses. How do you shore up your defenses, shields up, right? Lock your windows, lock your door, get that fence, get, get your guard dog in your house. That's what we can do for our body by eating foods that we love. And then the second book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, 
It's not a diet book. That's a trick title. It's an anti-diet book, and it talks about everything we've been discussing today and more. And is, and both books have a list of a total of 300 foods that you can choose from. And for people who are just like struggling, well, I can't remember. Was it a pear? Was it a plum? I can't. Look, I say, if you, have, if you get my books, um, just take a highlighter or a Sharpie, like a marker, and just circle the foods that you already love. Take a photograph of it on your cell phone and take that to the store to go shop because then you know that you'll be buying foods that you already love that science has shown is good for your health. That takes all the work out of it. And then just knock yourself out and enjoy yourself. I My, my motto is to love your food, to love your health. And people who want to do more of this, I teach an online course. Um, uh, I do master classes periodically. And I encourage everyone who's interested, just sign up for my free newsletter. Um, you can uh, uh, come to my website. Follow me on social. My handle's at Dr. Dr. William Lee L I. Um, I'm on all the on all the different platforms, and uh, that's what I do. My mission is to actually get new information out as quickly as I can, especially practical information that can improve people's lives using food. There's enough confusion out there. I just want to put some kind of be have a beacon of clarity of things that are not theoretical, but things that are actionable. You're Brilliant. a gift. You really, really are. You're fantastic. We love, love what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, Great. yeah. And when we come to Boston, I'll send you an email because who knows? Please do. We'd love to. Area. We'd love to see you. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for your time. Thanks again. Dr. Thanks so Lee, much. Brilliant. My my great pleasure. While we have you, once a week we write a newsletter. It's called Happier. It's got simple, tried and tested practices to make your life better. We include recipes and practices that you can apply on a daily basis to make your life happier. We've had lots of people say before that it's really helped make their life better. So you can sign up on the happypairs.ie, our weekly newsletter called Happier.